Welcome to Heart Talk. I'm your host, writer, educator, and creator, Tracy Michelle. Wells once said that the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth on them. Warren Wearsby once said that truth without love is brutality. So in today's episode, I hope that both things are accomplished. That through the stories of the women who contributed to the Sex and the Church Girl essay collection, we are able to shine the light of truth but that also that that truth is received in the love that is intended. Theologies of sex within Christianity vary depending on the sect, denomination, and or general interpretation of related scriptures. Because so much of that theology and its practice has historically had a patriarchal bent, women have often not had a voice when it comes to Christian perspectives on sex and sexuality. The voices of women have either been left out of the discussion entirely or ideals about their bodies and experiences with sex have been depicted and determined as good or bad by men. Sex and the Church Girl is an essay collection that was published by New Season Books last year. And in that collection, um, we highlight the stories of women who either grew up in the church or identify as Christians currently. Every single essay explores how one's understanding of sex and sexuality is formed, informed, and sometimes misinformed by the varying approaches to sex found in the church. Now, I'm aware that when you push back on ideologies and theologies and you challenge or question, particularly in the American Christian church, the love is not often received. But I'm hoping that that's not the case here. In May of 2019, four of the um, 11 authors of the book Sex and the Church Girl gathered together in the Philadelphia area along with myself to discuss this topic that is often not discussed, unfortunately. Author, speaker, and minister Candace Wilkins, writer and artist Raina Chambliss, scholar Felicia Commodore, marriage and family therapist and artist Cindy Swinton Jackson, and as I said, myself, all had a chance to share our hearts and thoughts about sex and the church girl. So since the session runs long, I'm going to keep my commentary here short. Let's dive into the conversation on sex and the church girl and how the church has formed, informed, and sometimes misinformed the sexuality of women. Women. A lot of what we 
are told about sex at very young ages, right? Is that um, it's something that you do when you get married, that is, um, there's never really any conversation about pleasure, about desire um, at all. Why do you think that sex is still this thing, this taboo in the church? Let's go first. I, I think I can. I'll bring it high. Um, so, one of the things that I think the church tends to tie itself to in America, particularly, is the moral values of the country or the alleged moral values of the country. And you know, we were we talk about the forefathers and and how they had all these standards and certain things that we won't legalize here in this country because we feel like we have to uphold some type of morality. And the church seems to fall in line with that, even though it's supposed to be a separation of church and state. The last time I checked, but um, I think that the church is a little too entangled with with government and with the American values as opposed to what the Christian values should be. But the thing is, the American values are a lie, right? This relationship between church and politics, and you know, all the conversations that are happening right now about the abortion laws that are being passed in these various states, right? Like, the problem is that the alignment itself is false, right? Like, the you know, even talking about forefathers and talking about all men are created equal. Well, no, kind of, I wasn't. We all was right. We wasn't right. <laughs> so, you know, so this idea of aligning yourself with a lot. But for me, I don't even think it's that. I think it's it's deeper than that. I think it is a power. It's the same power structures that we see in government, in politics, in the social realm, happening itself. White supremacy is happening itself. Um, patriarchy happening within the church, right? And it's a mechanism to keep people under control, right? Because I don't believe the Bible intended that. If you read the stories of the Bible, what your pastor is preaching often does not align. Talk especially about if he's talking about sex, doesn't align with the stories of the Bible. Alexis Brown, who's probably online right now and was on her way here, and the flight got canceled. So we miss you, Alexis. Um, sending you all the love. She wrote in her essay um, that you know, the Bible is in a sex man. And she breaks down, if you look at the story of like all of this, all of the things that, the things we're taught that are law, didn't necessarily apply in these stories, right? So then how do you make sense of that? How do you reconcile that? Well, I think, I think also, I think for me, I think when we, the way in which, particularly in my experience in black church tradition, um, that we, view our faith generally totally as a set of rules in which to protect ourselves, right? And I think when we think about historically how kind of Christianity is mixed into kind of the socialization of black people in America, religion is one of the ways in which we could protect ourselves, the morality portion of it. And so if you buy that certain a certain standard of living, then you are seen as a good person and possibly a good black person, which ultimately could protect you, right, in certain spaces and places. Um, but with that framing or that framework, I think what has happened is that um, in order to keep that standard, we had to make anything that's seemingly pleasurable bad, right? So. So any kind of pleasure, anything you get pleasure out of is flesh, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's not, you should be, it should be, I kill your flesh daily. It's all about struggle and pushing and straining and striving. 
And so if if this seems like it feels too good, right, whatever it is, it could be not just sex, but anything that seems too pleasurable, right, cannot be spiritual. You cannot be of God, right? And I think sex got pulled into that, right? And so um, we talk about sex, but we talk about sex as something that is not about pleasure. We talk about sex as something you do that is almost a mandate once you're married right. to be fruitful, procreate. right? Yeah. To procreate or to keep your marriage happy, right? Because mm-hmm. that makes God happy. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so we took the yeah, right? Um, and so we we take the the pleasure out of it because if you see it as pleasurable, then we mix that with sinful. And I think that has caused us, like I said, to to frame sex as a mandate as opposed to something that, a gift that God has given us to enjoy. And that, I think, has caused a struggle because then you're like, oh, it is is pleasurable. But then you feel guilt because you've been taught that we're not supposed to be, but enjoy things that feel pleasure. And what's interesting about that is that is everyone taught? Are, is everyone taught that, or women taught that? Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of passes given to men, right? Like, I mean, I've heard pastors, I've heard, you know, um, in council and in uh, deacons say, "Oh, well, you know, men, they're just gonna have to sow the wild oats. Yeah, they're gonna have, you know, this season. Like, it's, it's so. Is it really that we're taught, or is it that women are taught to not?" experience pleasure, that we are at, we are at, we are there for our husbands to pleasure, right? Or, um, and then if we decide that we are going to experience that pleasure outside of the context of marriage, and whoa, 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 here we go to the Jezebel, you know, that whole body, you know, the whole church world, right, that we see. So is it? Why is it? Why, why do we think that men get the passes? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I, think, I think I think everyone's taught it. I think women are held held responsible for everybody, mm-hmm. right? So well, I think everybody gets the teaching, but men get the pass because it's our responsibility to keep the men in line, right? Oh, so that's the reason why we have to cover our eyes, right? Like, I'm not agreeing with that, but I'm just saying that in, in, in the context of what we're talking about, 
we are the ones that have to get, we are the ones to get chosen. We do not do the choosing. That's taught. Whether that's said to you, that is the way that it's taught. A, a man that finds a wife, you you know, you gotta be found. And when you're found, you have to be the good church girl. Even though, as we, Felicia and I were discussing yesterday, what kind of breaks down that theology, right, is because, you know, that was sort of where we were early in our college oh, years, God. trying to be the man. We were saying, I was going to sleep, you know what I'm saying, Ooh. with one of my names, no more she's playing. is because, you know, people have forgotten that help me means partner. So this idea of choosing 
you know, the woman, as opposed to it being a partnership, being, you know, working alongside in the garden, you know, as opposed to, that, you know, like people have twisted it to do exactly what she said. Um, and I think what's interesting is that even those women who do all the right things and they get the guy, right? What ends up happening is within marriage, right, they are still unequipped, ill-equipped, ill-equipped, even within marriage. So I'm coming to you, Cindy. No, no. You see how this way on, right? <laughs> Right? In your essay, you talk about that, right? And a lot of people are saying, you know, well, why is it the church's job? We got feedback when the, when the book dropped. A lot of you said, well, why is it the church's job um, to talk about sex, right? And my, my thing is, well, and by that logic, why is it the church's job to talk about financial education, to talk about uh, entrepreneurship, to talk about anything out of a, you know, that's not necessarily exactly spiritual, right? Like, we do it because God wants us to live abundant, full, you know, lives, right? And so we talk about sex because that is very much a part of who we are as human beings. So, so, I'm a And then you went off and got married, and then even in doing all the things you went off and got married, and it was still there was you didn't have the equipment to be able to handle it. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell well, us. Yeah. The, the, the first thing that, that for me, when when because you know we'll get a lot of boo from the church. Right. So when we when we're saying church, we're not talking about building. We're not talking about an organization. We're not talking about this. We're talking about we are the church, right? Says we are the church. We're talking about people. We're talking about yeah. the church. But can, you know I, can I jump in here? Yes. Because yes, we're talking about church and people, yeah. but I am talking about the institutions too. <laughs> I'm talking about the organizations. Yeah. Because yeah. Those, those people begin to form these LLCs and these yeah. nonprofit organizations, and they put rules and stuff, and the rules turn into sermons. So I just want to make sure that turn into things because we bought into this theology really? and yeah. to capitalize on how to get chose conferences. church being the stigma is still being a, a taboo subject sex. Still is. A hundred years old. It's like First 
sex education. Back when they used to have sex education in school, you know, I'm, I'm sex education in school old. <laughs> so being in there and seeing the diagrams and all that stuff and being feeling that sense of shame, even though you didn't even know what you were looking at, is something that if you're not taught, that's something that goes on for the rest yeah. of your yeah. you know, until you learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when you learn by trial and error, you don't really know. Right. You're just going with the club. You know what I mean? Right. Which is it's just being equipped. So yeah. in a sense, you can you can reach a certain age of maturity where you have, you know, all things in life in place and whatever, but in that particular area, mm-hmm. you're still almost virginal. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know. You can't experience it through watching television, through seeing movies, or talking to other people. You can't. You know. So you know. There you go. But you know what's interesting is that Candace, in your piece, you can kind of go into that even even more, right? In 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 detail, because part of even being ill-equipped, like we can talk about the, the church not teaching us. You know, uh, to embrace our desire and embrace flesh. But like the the strange thing about the teaching of don't do it, right, is that nobody talks to you. They tell you don't do it, and then you like, you said you're supposed to go from nothing to nymph, yep. right? Like, you're supposed to like, be, you know, as soon as you get married, you're supposed to be able to turn it out, twist it out, twerk it out, right? And and nobody has even had a conversation with you. And what's so interesting about that is I learned something today, y'all. Let me tell you what I learned. I was having a conversation with Alexis. I'm about to bring it up, Alexis. I'm telling you. Um, she was talking about a female sexuality course that she had taken. Do you guys know? And maybe y'all know. And I'm just the one. And my husband is here, so he might be a little embarrassed, but he'll be okay. <laughs> but do you guys know that there are 14 ways the female body can orgasm? Right. So they're they what they are gonna teach you is figure out what he like. 
What is he like? What do you mean? Do this. If he's standing like this, black long hair, go get you a wig. If he's in this, you know, black long hair, get your get your stuff tight. He might be like, right? Mess in the about that because I'm the 
daughter, I mean, I'm the mother of a seven-year-old, um, and I find myself, if I'm honest, doing exactly what you're saying. Like she, my daughter loves to wear everything tight, um, <laughs> and, and, um, and it's just it's just her personality. And I find myself, no, put a skirt on top of, and this is really interesting balance between trying to let her be free, you know, and not be ashamed of her body and not giving her a complex over her body, but dealing with my own stuff. Because for me, the truth is, I know that there are predators out there, and I know that there, um, and I, because I'm also coming from a place of someone who's experienced sexual trauma and, and sexual molestation, and so it's my fear at work. I know that, I think some of even those grandmamas and aunties yeah, and, and in the church, um, while they are, and they end up making the, the woman full of shame, they feel like that's the price you pay. Yeah. Because if you don't, then yeah, because so and so is going to be looking up right. and touching your butt and you know and doing all of that. Yeah. And so I, there's this weird tension for me as a mom. So I, I um, both here talking. I think about um, my mom, who I talk about, I talk about with my parents, um, and they're kind of accidental progressive nature. <laughs> I don't think they knew what they were doing at all. Um, uh, she she was a social worker um, and a minister and a pastor um, as a doctor. Um, but the part of her time in social work, she worked with sexually abused kids. Um, and so she was very, I feel like that was part of the reason she was very adamant about talking to her about bodies and about sex and things of that sort. Um, and so I think there's a way, and I don't have kids, so let me preface that that some of us have to be actually to take care of and keep alive and stuff. Um, but I think there's a, there a, she policed my clothes, absolutely. We have great epic stories of battles in the room, right? My dad's like, I'm leaving, I'm about to blow down. But um, I, I, from, from her standpoint, I think my mom always framed it as a fit issue, right? Like we never, it was never a, oh, people are going to be wanting to touch you or do things to you or you're going to attract the wrong attention. It was always, that just don't look good on you, right? Um, and then that's where the argument, right? Because I was like, I look great. <laughs> 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 instances of being a little girl in church not always had long legs as I was talking about age I was had long legs. Um, and I remember like like adults, both men and women would make comments about my legs. Like either like, oh she always had legs out, or, oh she's such pretty legs for a little girl, like what I remember. And and never do I ever remember my mom being like, well, you, we're gonna cover that up. Like whatever. It was always I remember my mom specifically approaching someone and being like, why are you looking at my daughter's legs, right? And I think that is the, like, to, for your kid to, to know that you're not going to turn in on them, but they, they're not going to shame you for your body. What we're going to talk about is why your body is such a topic of conversation for these adults, right? Um, and, and I think there probably was a mix of, like, covering her, because my mom is tense now. Intensity more conservative issues. But I don't know that she ever framed it that way with me. Like I said, like I can always remember now that I've got other body issues because of fit thing. But um, I never felt like ashamed of my body sexually or that my body was the reason these men, because I also look, I was, I look older for my age. Like, um, so I had 19 year olds trying to talk to me when I was 15 and 14 and never 
do I remember my parents making that my fault, right? It was like, why are these, what's wrong with these people, right? right? And, I, and I don't know if that's because of the, where her, professionally, like she just more so focused out on predators right. than on the, the child, but I think that made a difference in how I viewed myself. So I didn't, um, you know, I'm okay, so I walk around all the time, like, hey, you're not comfortable with this, I didn't grow up with that shame sexually right. about my body, although I do think she policed my clothes so that I was dressing appropriate for my age, that I wasn't, you know, I already looked 19 and 15, so we don't have to dress you like a 19 year old, right? Um, but I, I, we're gonna we're gonna reframe how I say that, so you don't internalize that it's your body that's the problem. We we can find clothes that fit your body, and that and what other people think about you sexually is not your responsibility. I wonder, like, when do we get to the point where we move from, you know, just not making a person feel shame to celebrate mm -hmm. like you know i want to have and maybe this is just my reading too much judy boom when i was you know a child <laughs> or whatever but i want to take my daughter on a trip to her first bra and i want to celebrate her buds you know i want like i think we go we either have an experience of shame or we have an experience of maybe not shame but Nobody talking to you about what's happening to your body. Like nobody's celebrating when you get your cycle. Or nobody, you know, like nobody's having that kind of conversation. Yeah. I think I, I just wonder. I'm wondering when can we get that to that? Well, we gotta talk about it first, mm -hmm. and we, we still are very hush hush. We still listen. We're still sending people away for getting pregnant. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we're literally, this is 2019, and we are still dragging people up to apologize to the church for getting pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. We still yeah. holding past, holding up people's memberships because they single mamas. Mm -hmm. We ain't hiring people. All of that is in the book, by the way. No, absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, we're, we, we can't even, we can't even get over ourselves enough to have the, that conversation. And here's the thing, I'm not sure that it's happening. It's gonna happen, right? Because some of the people that talk to me about, I'm not sure why the church needs to talk about this, were my age. Right. So I'm like, well, snap. <laughs> you know, I can't even, what, what are we gonna do? I think too, I think, right, because not that all hope is lost for the old people, but some of them gonna come over someone and be like, look, I'm already two steps to glory, I ain't got time for you. some kind of role where we are going to be helping to guide this next generation. I think the first thing we have to do is deal with our own stuff. Mm -hmm. Like we we don't we want to change stuff but not deal with the stuff that makes us think the way we think. Mm -hmm. And I get it, right? It's scary to shake the very foundation of who you are yeah. and why you think the way you think and find out maybe you didn't actually think that, which I talk about my chapter, maybe I don't actually think that at all, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I also and, and, and I, I say this all the time when we talk about, um, particularly when it comes to like spanking, the conversation about spanking and stuff. 
stuff. It's like, we have to get past it. Just because it was done to you and you survived right. does not mean that it was good practice. Right. Right? <laughs> so right. just because you were taught that and you seemingly turned out okay. Right. Does, usually not true. Right. Right. does not mean that it was the best practice that could have been done. May not mean that it was bad, but it doesn't mean that you can't improve upon it. Right. And it's very interesting to me that we're so, we will buy the, the next phone, we will get the latest computer, we will get the newest update on Instagram or whatever, you know, we just think about that. But we will do all those things, but we will not be like, maybe there's some things about child rearing or about sex or about all these things that maybe we could tweak. Like maybe now we have more information. Maybe now we can tweak some of those things. It's like, no, it was good for me, and it'll be good yeah. for you. And I think we really have to sit down and ask ourselves where those things good for us. Mm -hmm. And maybe some of it was, and maybe some of it could be too. Yeah. And be really honest with our answers. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Because a lot of us think that we're okay, and we're not. Right? <laughs> we think that, you know, that we, because we're moving through life. I mean, it took me to almost turn 40 to be able to even reconcile that some of my behavior, my fears, and the things that I was dealing with was a direct result of childhood trauma and direct result of being raped at 23. And, and, and these experiences helped to inform how I dealt with relationships and how I dealt with, you know, I mean, the experiences that I had. It took, I, you know, it took a very long time for me because I was going through my 30s and my 20s like, you know, nothing was wrong. I'm okay. Yeah. You know, I came out, out pretty decent. Yeah. I got this degree and I'm doing this, this, and this. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, when things start to break down, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not okay. Right? And so me not being okay is informed by what I was taught right. in the church. Now, here's the thing, and I know a lot of y'all might watch it, we're not saying the church was bad. There was no good stuff about the church. I mean, there was a lot of foundational stuff. The reason why we as our church still call our people outside, and that's not, we want the church to be better. Outside of the church, I've had the most encounter with God, right? My biggest, most profound experiences and encounters with God were outside. And we gotta do that. That's where I think we're going. Um, Raina and Cindy, because y'all kind of quiet, and I'm like, so. Um, what's interesting, the similarity between your two stories in the book is Raina, you didn't come from a, a church background. You came, you came to faith later on in your life. And Cindy, you said in your story that your your church, your parents were like nominal, like they went on Easter, Christmas, whatever, but it wasn't like an active like four days a week type of deal. And so I'm interested in knowing both of you still kind of ascribe to Judeo-Christian, you know, beliefs and still got kind of caught up. Like when, you know, you were talking about your experience of um, having children as a teenager, right, or, or having sexual activity early, and your mom kind of running you down the street to the church anyway, even though she didn't even really go there, but she's like, we need to go to somebody's church. You know, get up on the altar, right? So I'm interested in knowing, you know, um, how you think that, how you ended up still in that same place, even though you didn't have that, you know, maybe necessary foundation. You know, I, um, my mom was an interesting woman, and she, I guess she got to her wit's end as far as my being bad was concerned. Now, personally, I don't think I was being bad, and I think my sisters would attest to the fact that I really wasn't being bad. Sure, there were some things that I probably did that I should not have done, but it goes back to the talking to. Nobody told me there were things that I wasn't supposed to do. 
Maybe I was supposed to come straight home from school. Maybe I was supposed to wash the dishes. I don't know. But all those things do not add up to me getting run to some random church in the West Coast. You know, having to put on your heels and, and this skirt set. And, oh, I was getting dressed up in the church. Early Sunday morning, I'm used to sleeping in. And, you know, having to experience it. We talked about this at the beginning of this, having to experience the um, domination, the male-dominated atmosphere, because the four weeks that I went, you know, I had to go to Alder, I had no idea what Alder was, and no, I didn't really know what prayer was, other than Judy Bloom, you know, are you there, guys, from Margaret? That's where I was So ended up years later going to the church. Basically, I ended up at church because my husband's brother kept begging us to go, and I was just like, "Listen, we should just go so we can get them off our back." And had a good experience. Now, good experiences come and go because I'm early not in church. Nobody saying that. No, no, no. <laughs>
but they knew where she was at. <laughs> <laughs>
is where I had I started having encounters mm-hmm. with God, but it was because I was singing for the gospel choir. Mm-hmm. So I was singing stuff. Introduced to you know to to the Lord to Jesus the Holy Spirit thing and all of this stuff and in that time in the early eighties it was salvation was like a fad you say you say you say it was a thing people just say scrub all the makeup off Right. But I 
believe that I brought that trauma to myself and because I love you and I don't want you to experience what I experienced, I'm going to police you right. so you don't bring trauma to yourself. Not knowing that it's nothing to do with the, the, the individual, but more to do with the perpetrator. But that's not the socialization. And I do think, you know, um, in my conversations with older women, like, they think that's love. Like, they think that's love. you to bring to you what I believe I brought to me because that's what I was taught. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, like in my in my essay I talk about me being molested at an early age and I thought I was fine. And what I talk about is that good girl church thing that I was taught alongside this complicated relationship with sex and me kind of being like, see, sex is, what the church taught me is sex is bad mm-hmm. and what my molestation taught me is, is sex is bad. Mm-hmm. And so those two things kind of married together and then, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm the good church girl. I'm going to act right. I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. Then I ended up having sex outside of marriage, but I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, well, this must be, this is God. Like, this is, see, this is what, how, this is how God's going to protect me. He's going to make sure that I don't enjoy sex until I get married. You, like, this is the way I formed it right. in my mind. To tell. You know what I'm saying? But but I didn't know that all of that was trauma. I didn't know that. I didn't know that because you, I, no one told me that it was traumatic. And I went to the group therapy and, you know, I did all of the stuff I was supposed to do, you know, the state mandated, blah, blah, blah. I'm in there helping them girls. Like, the girl's like, you know, my, my you know, my mom, Yeah. <laughs> 
reception right now, so they will be also talking to you. If you have questions or anything you want, um, they can go in and help you out as well. Because I can't see the comments. It's, it's a, it is a comment. <laughs> there is one? Okay. <laughs> she just wanted to know what the 14 organs <laughs> 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 <laughs>
some some sex real sex education that incorporates body parts your 2000 parts but also from a biblical perspective that you can and I, you can marry them but but balance balance and, and get off this don't do it because that ain't working apparently okay that ain't working it has not been working so i want some curriculum and i i think that and i i would you know, not me. I'm, I'm in a unique position because I used to be a youth minister and I'm, you know, a licensed minister. I would build a curriculum. My, if you can't build it, I would build it. You know what I mean? Just so that we can start talking about it so that there is, because we're talking about everything else. We're talking about forgiveness. And we're even now like, oh yeah, you know, we need to start teaching these young people about their, their um, finances. Yeah, like, yeah, let's all go start teaching them about their bodies and not being ashamed. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna do the whole, you know, and it, it, it needs to be balanced. That's that's my big thing. It just needs to be balanced. Like, what's good for the booty and goes for candor, like, and vice versa. Like, if you're gonna be out here, if, if your theological position is that no sex before marriage, I want you pushing that messaging as hard as with the boys as you do with the girls. Absolutely. You know what I mean? If, if that's your theological position, I, that's what that's what I would want to see. It's on some Sunday school Bible study type stuff. But you know what? To add on to that, because I agree with you, I also think. That there are things about sex and sexuality that the Bible can't answer. Mm-hmm. And I want us to be okay with that. Mm. And I want us to be okay with a lot of that gray area. And because what we try to do sometimes is we want to take that area and push it black or push it white. That's true. Right? Mm-hmm. And and I see scripture scripture, right? And turn twist scripture to try to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. when it really doesn't fit. And contextually, that's not even what that was happening at that time, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so I would want us to just say, you know what, since I, I don't, don't have know. an answer for that, yeah. but here's what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying, or here's what's specific to you in your situation in yeah. this moment, mm-hmm. like, or here's what I went through when I encountered yeah. that same yeah. feeling, yeah. right? Because those are valid God uses that, yeah. right? Like, it, there may not be a scriptural verse and story yeah, to line true. up on, right, right. you know, a particular, or if you get some kids like my child and a lot of these kids that are coming up nowadays, they're going to say, well, you know what? Truth be told, Mary Magdalene and Rahab and so-and-so, and then I don't see anywhere where premarital sex actually comes up scripturally right. in the Bible. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't, I don't even see that. And I don't think, Bonnie, I looked up the Greek of fornication, and it actually doesn't mean that. What do you understand? Yeah, exactly. What do you understand? Where the Greek of fornication doesn't line up with what you talk. Uh oh. But 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 why can't we? This is what I'm saying. Like why 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 do we then try to dumb down? And this is why the problem is why do we dumb down the scriptures when it doesn't fit what we want it to say? Like then we because we made God in our own image, right? But so that's what I'm saying. Like when we talk about really trying to go through the Bible, that stuff needs to be said. Like, you know what I mean? Because that's not something that we were taught. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that wasn't... Because we'll take literal interpretations of scripture. Yeah, like, like so, so, yeah. so I'm, I'm just... Yeah. We just need to, we need to really read and, um, and study. Well, and to understand... Also, we... We... I, <laughs> some of these pastors... Gotta get more bold. And this is my pastor's friends will come for me in my inbox. I see it. But uh, uh, there's a lot of pastors preaching stuff they don't even believe. Like when you talk to them one on one, 
they're like, oh yeah, I was coming there. I stopped doing that stuff like 20 years ago. But I can't preach that in my pulpit on Sunday or my office gonna be love. Or people are gonna be like, like literally. So some some of these folks gotta give them a vote. Maybe maybe it ain't in the pulpit on Sunday, but at least let's start a Bible study. Right, right. right. But that that's the that's the thing that I think burns me up. Like, and of course, like I just have a really random circle of a lot of friends. So there's some pastors who don't believe this stuff for themselves, but they're afraid to preach what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. Because they don't feel that the people are going to receive it, and if they're in a system or a church mm-hmm. where their livelihood is tied to people coming to church mm-hmm. and putting offerings in that place, they're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to put their kids eating at risk mm-hmm. to preach a progressive gospel. Mm-hmm. And that is where I can even faith the strength.
I remember it was kind of hand in hand. Like I somewhat felt okay with what happened with me and my son, and then I also felt weird. Like I, used, I remember specifically a time I was in the hospital, and someone called me home, and they asked me, "Who did I know what the son my son's father was?" And it was just like, I'm sorry, this is the whole talk is being a little emotional because I don't share my story. I don't tell other people what I'm dealt with, it. and that moment I was. A little taken aback, but I couldn't be a little. I couldn't be upset because of my past and what I knew that I went through. What I knew that I done. I knew I could, but it was at that time I was ashamed. So it was like, you know, right? Kind of, I kind of couldn't be upset. But I guess my question now is: now that I'm older, I was like, I was 28 next month. My son is five. Um, he doesn't go to church with me. He was just with his father, which I don't really like too much because they got own stuff going over there. How do I? Turn, turn my mindset around to be able to feel comfortable to go back to church despite of what I've been through, despite of my past, despite of the stages that I've had. And to try, still trying to get over those stages because I still have my moments where I'm good and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then I have my moments where I'm like, oh, I'm still getting popping all the time. So it's like, how do you get, change your mindset to go to, to get back to that place where you want to work? First of all, I don't even want to tell you that you need to go back right now. I think that there's a healing process, right? It's not that you won't go back. And I understand the idea of wanting your child to be, you know, to have that experience and take your child to church. But it's a healing that has to happen because that's what we call church hurt, where somebody has really, you know, caused a breach. At the same time, what you have to know is that none of those people are God. That God loves you, right? He wants a relationship with you. And he he loves everything about you. He knows you didn't you didn't catch him off guard, you know. And I don't usually use the masculine, um, you know, try not to use the masculine framing for God. But God is not surprised by you. And there's nothing that is in your life, so-called promiscuity or whatever, that God is holding against you. And that you have to let that settle in your spirit, like and get some peace about that because part of it is shame at work right, right? like so wow. that, that shame wow. is you know telling you that what they're thinking and what they're saying is true yeah, right. and so you have to get clear that it's not and that you are deeply loved mm-hmm. right and then you enter that space with more confidence because it doesn't really matter what you think about me or my child because i'm not here for you right Right? I'm here for this relationship and yeah. not this. Yeah. And until y'all can get y'all together, they will never be this. Yeah. Right? And so that's what I'm saying, because church is about relationships and it is about community. So you have to, that's what I'm saying, it might not be time yet. Right? And it may not be, you may have to find a space, a safe place to be able to live where you're not going to be, you know, judged. That's, I mean, that's my yeah. take. You're, um, I've been there, and the the wording that you used, I, I was listening to you, and what I want you to know is that God loves you. I want you to get that despite thing out of your head. Because it's like, I did this and this, and I know God loves me despite Like you are like I did this, and how could God love 
me because I did and because this happened and because it happened over and over and over again and see how can he love somebody but that's when we start shaping God in our image right because we because humans got that that conditional type love humans have that like yeah, I'm gonna love you until you do yes, this, and then and, and okay, well, I'm gonna forgive you that one time, but you did it again. Oh, I don't know, and I'm gonna start holding myself back from you a little bit. Oh, you did it again. Oh, that's 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 not how God loves us. He doesn't love us despite. He doesn't. It's not like oh, okay, I, I know you got all of this. Stuff. He's he's just he's oh, I, his love like I. I Oh, I'm sorry, as this because I know what that is. I know what that feels like because you, 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 you feel like I'm just messing up. And I, I'm not, I can't get it right. I can't get it right. So how, I, I can't have a relationship because I can't get it right. And the, and the truth is, is that none of those people that are at that church are getting it right either. Mm-hmm. Everybody at this table. <laughs> <ain't getting it. laughs> she called you because I want her. You know what I'm saying? Nobody at this table, nobody, nobody. I don't care what kind of mask they put on. I don't care what kind of church hats they put on or what stockings they wear. Nobody is getting it right. I know that. Um... <laughs> um, anybody in any church that has time to sit around and call folks Come on. kind of questions, you don't need to be at that church anyway. So if the phone call isn't about seeing how you are, Making sure you're okay. Right. Right. Do you need anything? Right. And I'm gonna pray for you. Right. Then that's when you decide. I'm going because right. they should. If they should be praying in their closet, yes. doing right. the things that God says to do to create these relationships and those relationships. Yeah. And that's what church is supposed to be about. And I know we joked a little bit earlier about gossip and whatnot, yeah. but you know that's not even what it's supposed to be about. You know, we're gonna gossip in our kitchens and you know do stuff on social media. But I mean, you know, I'm not in church too. So, but church is here. We in church right now. So the petty side of me says, get an octogenarian friend because they know all the dead bodies up. <laughs> Tell them to the I'm still striving towards the mark. <laughs> the other side of me. I would ask you a question. You say you want to go back to church. Why? Um, I think most of it was because I miss that fellowship part. Mm-hmm. So I, I know because I go to church, I know that I've had, like, like you said, Tracy, I've had experience. Most of my profound experience have been by myself. Mm-hmm. Even at a young age, like 14, 15, I was by myself mm-hmm. having experience. Sometimes in church, dancing or something, but most of it in my own private time. And But I miss having that other part, that mm-hmm. other thing to go to, that other, you know. And it's a part of who you are. So what, what I would encourage, right, is to start at the root of that, right? Which are, before we get to, I need to find a church, I need to find fellowship, right? That's the first step, right? And so I think kind of going in line with what Tracy is saying is that you need to find some people you can fellowship with, right? And not just, you know, I think we throw that word around a lot and it usually means eat chicken. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think you find some some people who are like minded who are going to love you, who 
have the spirit of Christ in them, and then you can start that fellowship outside of the four walls of the church. Because once you have that, then you can start to think about getting into a larger fellowship, right? Because what can make the larger fellowship challenging is not having that fortified, intimate fellowship. And that's that's the stuff that lets people think they can say crazy stuff yeah. to you, right? right? Because I, 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 my friends will tell you, when they little church stories, we be ready to roll up. Like, I would go to the church. Who was she? Which one of them? And she was at the same time. <laughs> 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 but I think the fellowship, you, and I think we're all, we're designed, God designed us to be in community. God wanted community, right? So I think start there, start at the core of what you're looking for. Because if you don't start at the core, no church is going to satisfy, like, you're, because you're, you're, you still got to heal, like Tracy right. said. So you're going to go in, like, I want fellowship, and the church going to give you church. Right. right. <laughs> they going to give you church. Right. Right. And then the first time somebody does something that pricks that, that thing in you that takes you back, you're going to be like, she's lying and coming to the church. <laughs> <laughs> to bring that to right. so, so start with that I would start with finding fellowship building that up and then once you start to, to be healed and fortified then we can start to look for a, a, a place a community uh, that is called church yeah. that you can find in the larger fellowship yeah. Yeah. Right. And, to, and receive your healing yeah. you know because it's like you you, you are inadvertently wanting to stay in that hurt place but you, you heal you're whole, you know, you are complete. You have peace giving you everything that you need to move forward. And sometimes the churches, being in the church is like being in a relationship. Mm-hmm. When things go bad, y'all break up sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they hurt your feelings, you know, and you roll your eyes when you think about them sometimes. So sometimes you gotta you know, take a space. about what other people are thinking yeah. what they're saying because them jokers going to be talking mm-hmm. until Jesus yeah. and it ain't got nothing to do with what you do absolutely them people just need something to talk about and you yeah. can live in the best and they just born right yeah. 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 that's what she's saying You know, and just and just really focus on getting your healing and knowing who you are mm-hmm. and knowing how much you love. So right. you know, yeah. you're the apple in this eye. Yeah. And it sounds like that was a bone collector anyway. So just yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah. Else looking to take some information. Hey, right. You yeah. should have asked her. Hey, no, I'm guessing it wasn't her. <laughs>
So I wanted to just kind of get back to the message being whole, and just I totally agree. Um, and the thing that's so interesting to, right now to me is that we're in a time that's it's a very eggshell time in religion. Absolutely. Right. And so new generations. <laughs> I don't remember when I was coming up. I don't remember having so many options mm-hmm. outside of Christianity. Right, right. right. You know, and, that's true. and it's so crazy to me, like just how it seems like they're just so available and always in your face. And my email just fills up with all, you know, all kinds of stuff, and people are always just talking to you about it. You know, it's, everybody's doing something with it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, my question is in that, do you feel moral standards are all taught, or do you feel that we all have some kind of common thread that happens. And this is the answer. Is there a common thread that happens where all of us will sit and say, that's wrong, you know? I think part of morality is defined by culture in society, right? So what we would call wrong today in America in 2019, in 400, you know, AD in the Middle East looked entirely different. You know, and a lot of it is shaped by culture. It's shaped by, like you were saying, all of the options. Well, that's happened because there's access now to information that we didn't have access to. Nobody, we couldn't just go online like Buddhism. You know, we couldn't do that, right? And so that access is actually made it a different experience. So how we define right or wrong is a little different. So I don't even know if it's like this core, you know, sense. It's more of environmental. It's about how we're raised. And then um, there's this, I do think that that at our core, there is an understanding of humanity and who we are as human beings. Um, But I don't like the the binary of right or wrong because that has shifted for thousands and thousands of years, right? Even biblically, you know, we see a significant difference, right? I mean, I'm loving the shrimp. Right, you know, but at a particular point in time, it's like straight, straight to hell. Right, you know, like so. Right, yeah, right. You know, so I I think that that's how I would answer the question. Yeah, I would would agree. I think morality, in in the um, very technical sense of the term, is subjective. I think it's subjective to time and place. Yeah. I think it's subjective to culture. To culture. I think it's 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 subjective to socialization, right? I think I mean there are plenty of people who thought slavery was right, exactly. right? Justifiably morally, right? Right? And so um it's people who still think it was right. And so um so I think is it does it feel like they were they felt like they were punishing us No, I think they felt the Bible told them that they were scared. to be sensitive to things, to justice, 
and things that are unjust. Now, how we make sense of it is free will, right? But I think there is that, that God has created a mechanism in us to, to sense things and then gives us the free will to figure out how to make sense of it. But that is through discernment, whether that is through reading a book, whether that is through being taught things. But I do think there is something for because if I believe that there, we have spirit beings, I have to believe that there is a mechanism in there that stirs up this this sense of something, something just or unjust. But then we live in a world as a human body and human mind where we have to make sense of it. And I think that's where your faith, whatever that is, or your spiritual identity, then plays a role in how you form and shape that sense that's already inside of you to make sense of what is moral and just. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have that. I think we all have that sensibility. So you think some people ignore it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's your choice. I think people get scary in the church. We talk about choice. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jesus was like, follow me and walk away. He wasn't like, follow me. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for traveling. Out here. Yes. 
and uh, we will actually be taking this discussion on the road. So you can look for us in Raleigh. I know that's going to be coming up soon. We also have looking at Baltimore and DC and some other places. So we will be having these conversations. If you have a church or if you have um, an organization or you you know that you want us to be as you know your your church is okay with us talking about fourteen orgasms, then <laughs> allow you know allow us to welcome to you know come and talk about this. In the meantime, go get sex and the church. Go to hearttalkpodcast.com to learn more. See you next time.